Holy Spirit is here this morning. Amen. They're fabulous up there. I always wanted to be the one up there, but I don't think I'm ever going to make it. If any of y'all have ever heard my voice, did you hear Janice? She said no really loud. <laughs> I tell you, y'all just pray for that woman this year. Just pray right now the Holy Spirit just comes upon you and the devil is gone from you. <laughs> Amen, sister. Janice is the sister I already have. She fits right in with my other sisters. Just hateful. But you love her anyway, because that's what you do with family, amen? amen? Are you done with Christmas? Yeah. Are you like, thank God that's over. I made it. Did you get everything you wanted? Amen, sister. Chris got everything she wanted, so if you didn't see her, would you stand up? I think she has some extra. If she doesn't have it, she'll find it. I know Chris. She'll pray it into you. She'll change your mind about what you want, actually. You know, we get so excited about events like Christmas. I don't know if you're like me. I'm just not ready for it to be over. There's so much preparation and so much anticipation and, and so much excitement, you know? So exciting. You get up Christmas morning, and then like the next day, it's just over, isn't it? And you're like, okay, back to work, I guess. You know, that wasn't really all I had wanted it to be or hoped to be. We do that with lots of things in life, I think. Maybe it's graduation. You think, oh, if I can just finish this degree, my whole life will be changed. And you know what? You finish your degree. I finished a few, so I can tell you this more than once. And you get a job, and you just slide into the work life every day, 8 to 5. I tell my niece and nephew, yeah, you have it lucky now. You don't have a job. Wait till you do. You really, it's great not having a job just going to school, isn't it? Especially if someone else is paying for it. Amen. Or you think, if I can just find the right person and get married. Well, let me tell you, you do. It's not all it's cracked up to be, is it, brothers and sisters? (laughs) Now, that is no reflection on my spouse, who I love with all of my being. Where is she? It's just the way it is. You think, oh, I'm going to get that right person, and it's going to be wonderful and perfect. My every need will be met. How many of you have that happen to you? (laughs) One person in the back, please stand up. Everyone go see her for counseling advice. (laughs) There are moments when you feel that way, but then there are other moments when you don't feel that way. You think, don't touch me. If you touch me, I will kill you. But you come to church, and so you always touch in church, don't you? Because you're in church. (laughs) I know y'all are just like me. I'm just like y'all. So you get excited, and you think, you know, if I can get just move to that new city, everything will be good. Get that new job, everything will be good. Get that child, my whole life will be different. And it is different, but it never just meets all those expectations. Well, I wonder if Mary and Joseph felt that way. In our scripture lesson today, They went to Jerusalem. Now, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Now, that was a big deal, y'all. You might not not really fully understand. I don't fully understand, but I'll try and tell you what I've read. I act like I was there. I wasn't there, but... It was a big deal. People didn't travel in that day. Actually, it was considered deviant behavior to travel. It wasn't like us. No, you don't hop in the car on Christmas Day and drive to Dallas down I-45. No. 
wasn't like that. There wasn't an I-45, praise God, but there wasn't an I-45. <laughs> you know, it was hard to travel, and there wasn't the Motel 6 just along the way, or the Holiday Inn, or the Marriott Express, or whatever. There weren't those things. If you traveled, you slept outside. You were, you were subject to the conditions of the elements, you know? Hot, cold, sandstorms, windstorms, whatever it was, you were subject to people who would rob you. Um, you didn't get to stop at the Taco Bell or the McDonald's or, you know, if you're healthy, the Jason's Deli or whatever. You know, you carried it with you. And you were um, subject to people's hospitality if you happened to have come across a town. So people didn't travel, so except to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. That was the only time they did. And they certainly didn't go alone. They went in groups, mobs, really, as many people as could. So the whole extended family deal, that was a good thing for traveling. You got all your family, which was lots, and all traveled together. Now they, as was their custom, went. They were devout, Mary and Joseph. We have the birth of Jesus in Luke, and then we get right to the... Did you you wonder, we just had Christmas last week, and now he's already 12 years old. Did you wonder what happened this week? That's another thing. It's like, God, he's 12. I wanted him to be over here. I'm back here still. No, full force ahead. So if you think I'm too fast, I'm just trying to keep you up with the Bible. Come with me. We're 12 years old now. But before that, he gets presented in the temple. So go home, read your Bibles. It's in Luke. Right before, if you take your bulletin home, it tells you exactly where we are. It doesn't matter when you're home. If it takes you an hour to find the place in the Bible, it's okay. Nobody's looking. And there's also an index in the in the front and the back, so you can find it. In the passage right before this, Jesus is presented in the temple on the eighth day to be circumcised, but also Mary has to be cleansed, purified, because she just had a baby. That was a dirty thing, so she was unclean. So they go, and it says in that passage four different times. It actually starts in verse 22, chapter 2. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. It actually says it four times according to the law. I don't know if Luke thinks we're stupid or what, but he says it four times that Joseph and Mary did what was necessary according to the law. So these are really holy people, very religious, very devout. Now, the word they use according to the law is actually ethos, which our word ethic comes from. But in that day and age, it wasn't a moral implication like ethic is for us. So don't think of it like that. What it meant in that time was a pattern of behavior, more or less fixed by tradition. It was a custom or a habit. So Mary and Joseph did what was customary under the law, what was customary according to their religion. They were Jewish. Even though Jesus was born, the Christianity thing hadn't started yet, so they were Jewish, and they were very faithful, and they did what was habitual for them. Kind of like coming to church on Sunday is habitual for us, at least for some of us. We hope it becomes habitual for all of us in the new year. Amen brother, sister, I don't know who that was. Amen. So they do what's um, habitual for them. It's become a custom, a habit. <clears throat> and we're going to, you know, isn't it a good time to think about customs and habits? Have you been thinking about it this week? I have. If you haven't, that's okay. Just look at me like, oh, God, I, I didn't do that. Was I supposed to? <clears throat> don't worry. The year is not over yet. You still have the rest of today till midnight. I have been. I've been thinking about this scripture, and I've been thinking about the year, because that's what I do at the end of the year. Think about what happened last year and what I want to happen this, this next year. And think about the customs and habits that are usual in my life, and maybe it's ones that I need to let go of. 
Has anyone else thought about that, or am I the only one? Thank you, sister. One person has. A a few people. I appreciate it. The rest of you just listen and kind of dream and imagine, (laughs) if you can. (coughs) Think about the customs and the habits that have become usual in your life and maybe some new ones that you think would be good to pick up. That's the day. Today is the day to do that. This is the week to do. It takes me a whole, it actually takes me longer than a week. I'm kind of a slow processor. I always get kind of stressed out because I think, ooh, today, midnight, is, I have to be done by midnight. I have to have figured out what it is I'm going to do different next year. That's okay. Don't be stressed like me. You can do it into next week, too. It's all right. No one's going to come and zap you and say, ah, didn't meet the deadline. It's okay. So they were customarily and habitually observing the law. So they do this. They go down to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12, Jesus, Jesus went with them as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. What? Who's parent in the room? You ever left your kid somewhere and not known it? Not usually. Not usually. She's afraid to admit it. <laughs> It's okay, sister, I won't put you on the spot. Just say no. No, she's never done that. <clears throat> I mean, do you think they left him behind? What were they? Were they just not paying attention? They only had one. They only had one kid. It's not like, you know, my mother is one of 12. It's not like I can see if you have 12 kids running around that you could lose one. But one, especially one named Jesus. like, hello, were they not paying attention? I think, you know, there was a lot going on, is all I can say. This is what probably happened. They traveled in a group, and they had jobs as part of the group. I imagine Joseph was one of the people maybe who led the front of the pack with the animals, or maybe he was in charge of of packing and storing the food on the camels that were in um, mid-procession, you know, and so he had his job. Maybe Mary was in charge of the widows, the women who didn't have husbands to look after them, uh, maybe people who couldn't walk, you know, maybe they were being carried or maybe they were being on animals or maybe they had some kind of a cart or something. I imagine they both had jobs because that's the way the caravan worked. They all had a job and they probably weren't in charge of the kids, at least let's hope not or else they were really kind of dumb. They probably weren't in charge of the kids, you know, and it's a whole, I mean, they didn't just have to look after Jesus. Lots of people were looking after Jesus. And I'm sure they thought Jesus was with them. Jesus was where Jesus should be, with the family. Whoever was taking care of the kids, maybe it was Elizabeth. But I'm sure they got an earful when they realized that he wasn't with them, don't you think? I mean, can you even imagine what that conversation was like between uh, Joseph and Mary? You ever do something with your partner and you realize, oh my God, What happens? You blame them, don't you? That's why you have a partner, so you can blame them for everything. <laughs> well, Joseph, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought he was, you were supposed to watch after him. It wasn't me. You were supposed to watch after him. No, it wasn't me. You were supposed to watch after him. They probably argued the whole way back to Jerusalem, I imagine. And then they didn't blame each other. They probably blamed Elizabeth who, or whoever was in charge of the kids. What were you doing? Where's Jesus? Because, you know, that's what we do. We get together with our partners, and we blame someone else in the world. Because it's never our fault, right? And they probably felt horrible and guilty, don't you think? Losing your kid, I mean, come on. And poor Mary probably thought, okay, look what I've been through. First it was the Immaculate Conception, which I'm sure no one was going to believe and still has it, and now I lose him. (laughs) I mean, no one's going to believe that. They're probably going to think I killed him because he was so much trouble. 
I mean, they just imagine how they must have felt, horrified. So they go a whole day before they even realize he's gone. And I'm sure that wasn't a nice conversation between the two of them. So then they start looking for Jesus among the relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Now that had got to be a huge decision. Like I said, you don't travel alone. Plus, if they went back, then the group was going on. So that meant they would, went all the way back to Jerusalem, I mean all the way back to Nazareth by themselves. We think it was about a four or five day journey, and they went about 15 miles a day, you know, on foot, on animal. You ever seen camels? They don't walk very fast. Or really, they probably didn't just have camels, but whatever animals they used. They weren't like, you know, racehorses. <laughs> So they didn't go very fast, and they had to stop for food and stop to do various and sundry things. This was big for them to split off from the group. They were risking their lives, and they knew it, but they did it because they had to find Jesus. And I bet you, you know, I don't know how long they searched for him, but don't you think they probably, like, if you think someone's here, would you you immediately go back home to look for your kid? I would have looked in this building a million times before I would have decided to go back home. Just knowing he has to be here somewhere, you know, panicked. So they go back home, or they go back to Jerusalem to look for him. And and it says, after three days, they found him. Do you wonder why it took them three days? Were they slow? (laughs) Did they stop and have lunch? Obviously, they didn't know where to look first. I guess they didn't think he'd be in the temple. Now, if you were looking for your 12-year-old son, where would you look first? The arcade. The arcade. Maybe they had an arcade in Jerusalem. Maybe they were at the Xbox store in Jerusalem. I don't know what they had. You know, probably the, the big dirt pile where he was like to play with his cousin John or something. You know, they probably talked to John before, or all the kids, and said, okay, where would Jesus be? Where are his favorite places? Where do you think he would go? And they looked at all those places first. I'm thinking, you know, panicked. Took him three days. How long do you look before you give up? Have you ever lost anything like an animal? You don't ever give up. You just keep looking, don't you? I mean, you look incessantly, and then finally you have to go back to work. Um, But you really always look. So they look for three days, incredibly long time, before they go to the temple. And they found him sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When Mary and Joseph saw him, they were astonished. And Mary said, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. I just love Mary. Does anyone love Mary? I mean, I love that woman. I think about her a lot. I want to be like her. She doesn't yell at Jesus. Now, what do you do? Have you ever been to the grocery store when when a kid is lost and their parent finds him? Where have you been? They just scream at him. I'm like, God, no wonder they ran away from you. Holy cow. I mean, isn't that what we do as parents? You know? You scream at him. You yell at him. You're angry at him. We do it with each other. You know, because we're silly and that's how we react. That's not really how you feel inside. She was so honest. She knew exactly how she felt. We have been searching for you in great anxiety. That's how you feel when stuff happens that makes you uncomfortable. You lose your kid. The service changes at church. You lose your job. You know, things start changing in your environment and you're not comfortable with it. You feel anxious. That's how you feel. You really don't feel anger right away, you just use that to mask over how you really feel, which is anxious, because it's unfamiliar, and I don't know how I'm going to fit in, and where's my place, and it makes me uncomfortable, and I don't like being uncomfortable. So some of us don't like being comfortable so much that we just leave. 
We'd rather leave because our stability and our security is so important to us. And that is the way we all are, some of us more than others of us, depending on what kind of experiences we've been through in life. But Mary is so honest and knows herself. She just says, Jesus, where have you been? We've been so anxious. I mean, she probably, her stomach hurt like a million times over, I'm sure. Couldn't eat for three days, you know, lost her kid. Jesus says, where were you searching for me? I would have slapped him right then. dumb question. Why were you searching for me? Don't you think? Because you're my kid. That's why. Did you not know that I must be in my creator's house? And the translation here is that's one of them in my creator's house. But I think a better translation is about my creator's business or things or affairs. I had to be about God's business. I had to be about God's affairs. You think those are two different translations, but they're really saying, giving you information I think two pieces of information. One is where he was, but the other is why he was there. He was about God's business. He was about God's affairs. I think this trip to Jesus was like revelational. I think he went there, and while he was there, got some understanding of what was going on in his life and the call God had put on his life. And he responded, have you ever felt compelled to do something so much that you didn't know why, you didn't understand it, but that became your priority? That's what he did, and he stayed behind. He had to know that was going to pain his parents, who would eventually (laughs) figure out he was missing. Who thought it would have taken a day, but you know. That had to, he, it had to pain him because he made his parents upset. You, have you ever upset your parents and it just hurts you? You know, And it probably hurt his family and friends who not only now worried about where Jesus was, but worried about Mary and Joseph who were traveling back, and then they all had to come back. They were worried for like 10 days, so we should feel most sorry for them. You know, Not knowing what was happening. There wasn't a cell phone or a pager or a computer. You know, they just had to wait, and hopefully they would show up. You know, what Jesus did caused pain and agony and it caused anxiety for all of them. But he did it anyway because he felt that compelled. Sometimes that's what happens when we do what God is about. Doesn't it? Sometimes it pains others around us. But we have to do it anyway. When God is calling us to do something, you have to do it. It's hard. It's, it's even harder when people get upset with you about it. But that's when you have to kind of know, as Jesus, I think, did, and as I think Mary's heart was, just so focused on God. When I was up here listening to them sing, what was the last song you sang? The last song the group sang? More love, more power. Yes, more love, more power. I thought, oh, just to be so focused on God, so focused that everything else goes away. When you're upset with me, I'm sorry, but I, I'm not going to let that distract me. I'm not going to let your approval or disapproval distract me from what I think God is calling me to do. That is who Jesus was. That is who Mary was in this story. So Jesus gives them this answer, and they didn't understand. Although they were highly devout and religious people, they did not understand. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> you're not, you're, we're never all going to understand. You could be holier than holy. You know, you try, you study, you read scripture, you pray, and why do we think we're going to know everything and have all the answers and understand everything because we do that? We're not. There's always going to be stuff we don't understand. We don't understand why that happened. We don't understand why that change was made. We don't understand why that person acts that way. doesn't matter. Mary, 
They went back home, and Mary stored those things in her heart. And I believe, because she did, she didn't just say, oh, you're so stupid. I don't get that. I'm just dismissing you. She stored them in her heart, and I believe came to some fuller sense of understanding as time went on, and more events happened, and she got more information. You know, this week I've been uh, thinking about my year, as I do at the end of the... I'm a big thinker. And so I love this week, kind of. It's really interesting. It's the one time where um, something ends and we're all happy about it. Have you noticed in our society, we don't really like endings. When people die, we we don't like that. When people leave, we don't like that. When people step out of positions, even to do something else, we don't like that. We're sad. This is kind of the one event, the end of a year and the beginning of a new one, where we're all kind of on the same page. You're kind of excited, I think. I mean, I've never had someone have such a fantastically wonderful year that they just couldn't, didn't want to let go of it. I mean, a lot of us are like, thank God that year's over. I don't want to see it again. But even if you had a decent year and a good year, it's just so exciting to think about the opportunities of next year. A whole year, four seasons all the things that are going to happen. It's so exciting. There's so much potential. And if you're like me, you think about what that's going to bring and what you can do to kind of shape it and form it. That's what I've been doing this week. I think we do that around our jobs. Think about your job, how you did it, how you could do it better. We think about um, our relationships, how we did with those, what we can do to make them better. We think about our personal growth, You know, we always think about our physical health. What's with that? That's the first thing we all think about. My weight and my diet and my exercise. That's good. That's important. But don't forget about the rest of it. Think about your spiritual health. How'd you do this year with your spiritual self? Did you study? Did you read scripture? Did you pray? Think about how you can do it differently next year. And I think as a church, we have to think about how we did too. I go in the back right away when church is over and stand out there because, you know, I catch those people who just sit in the back and want to slip out really quick. I love that. I do that because I'm one of those people. When I go to another church or if I'm not up here, I'm in the back because that's where I like to sit. And I sneak, sneak out right away. It really doesn't bother me if you don't talk to me, but I've heard stories from people. I know people from other congregations because I get to travel around for my denominational work, and there was a couple that stopped and knew me from another church and said, you know, I came here... the first time. Actually, this story wasn't told to me here. It was told to me somewhere else because it only came here once. They um, came to 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 the worship service. There was a meal over here in the gathering space or in the activities building, and they went over there. They ate, and then they left. So they were on campus, what, about two and a half hours? Not one person spoke to them. Not one. And I've heard that story from other people, even people in the congregation, who said they came here, and it took them like four months before they even got to know anybody. No one talked to them. That's kind of alarming, isn't it? Not to, not to feel bad. There are lots of things we do well as a church, just like there are things you do well as a person. But at the end of the year, when you look back, is there anyone in the room who doesn't want to change one single thing about how they acted this last year, who has it absolutely, completely, 100% right? it's the same way as a church. We do things right, but there's some things we need to do better. When you look around here, do you see Jesus? And where do you see Jesus? 
probably in the faces of the people around you. When I look around, I see Jesus right here in this empty seat. Not that Jesus isn't in Raymond, and y'all too, but Jesus also is right here in those people out there who haven't come in yet. And we can't forget this. And we have to remember and we have to be so sensitive that when people come here, they're guests in our house. Who comes over to your house and you go get yourself a Coke and don't ask them if they want one? I mean, that's like losing your kid, isn't it? That's kind of bad. You know, you don't have a piece of cheesecake and not say, would you like one? And if it's only a small piece, I give you all of it or at least part of it if I really love cheesecake. You know, we have guests in our house every single Sunday. We can't come here so hungry that we have to get filled up so much that I don't have even a crumb to, to speak to someone and say, hello, I'm so glad you're here. We have to do a better job of that. We just have to, y'all. And you know stories. There are people who, who just a word will change their life. There are people who come in here planning to go home and kill themselves, and they've already got a plan. And you could just say something to them that changes their mind. And it's happened to you too. I know it has. You've been cranky and crabby and irritable and something will happen to you and you'll just feel like the biggest slug because you are because you've been so cranky and irritable and remind you of how blessed you are and how wonderful you are and that you're God's child. We have to continue to do that. We have to hold that up as a value here. In fact, it is a value of ours. Look at your insert in your bulletin. It's a green color. I don't know what shade of green. I'm not a gay man. I'm a lesbian. <clears throat> in the true sense of the word. And I say that with love in my heart. Some of my favorite people are gay men. <laughs> Do you know that our vision is to attract people into a relationship with God through radical inclusion into God's family, transform them to Christ-like maturity, and mobilize them for the life purpose? That is why we are here. That's it. That's our vision. That's our mission. That, and that is not just my job, and it's not just Janice's job, although I would love for her just to do it all so I wouldn't have to do anything, but she won't. It's all of our jobs. It's not just their job. They're wonderful ministers up there. It's all of our job. It's not just the ushers and the greeters. It's all of our job. When we stay, say good morning, go find someone you don't know. Go find the person who's sitting by themselves. And say, I am so glad you are here. My name is Sharon. I'm so glad to see you. They smile automatically, I promise you. Well, maybe, you know, some of them won't smile. But they're not going to, like, slap you. It's just, it's so easy. It doesn't cost anything. This year, today, it's, it's all there is to this year, as you evaluate your life, I want you to include evaluating your life in this church. We have to evaluate. And we have. We've spent some time this week the staff. And we have some ways that you can do some stuff into next year. We've helped create some ways that you can make commitments to living your life differently and growing yourself spiritually. The first box there is to attend the first seven Sundays of 2007 to discover the deeper meaning of my life through a powerful sermon series entitled Creating a Life That Matters. Dwayne's going to preach that sermon series. We're really excited about this new program that we're going to do. It's an adult education program, which is the second box. We're going to begin teaching it the week of, the week of Lent. And uh, we ask you to consider coming, joining, uh, attending the class. It's an 18-week class. We'll go in six-week segments. 
um, not 18 weeks straight, six-week segments. And I'll tell you, it's been piloted in three churches in our denomination. It's actually running the second time. People have said it's changed their life. It's just a curriculum, a spiritual curriculum of study. And the last one is to uh, pick a ministry in the church. It's a great time. You know, when you become an usher, you don't have to do it for the rest of your life. Church is so bad that way, isn't it? You just get sucked in there and you got to do it forever. You don't have to do stuff forever. Maybe you were a perfect usher 10 years ago, but now God is calling you to something else. There's all of our ministries listed on the back of the form. Look at it. Evaluate what you're doing here in the life of the church or if you're doing anything. And maybe you shouldn't have been doing anything back when you first came. There are times when you shouldn't do ministry. You should be just receiving and taking money into your bank account. But then your spiritual bank account comes to a point where you need to be making some checks, writing some checks. Look at the ministries. We're going to have a ministry fair on January 20th. It's on a Saturday from 9 to noon in this space. We're going to do training. We want all of our current ministers to come and new ministers to come. We're very excited about it. We're going to do training for all the ministry areas, and we're going to do some general training for all of us too because we're all ministers, and there's points and visions and purposes and values that we all need to uphold. So when people come in, they find Jesus in the temple. Jesus has got to live here. But y'all, God is not going to say, poof! Well, maybe God is. I don't know. I would never limit God. But, you know, it's our responsibility. We have to create Jesus in this place. We have to be Jesus in this place. And this is a perfect time of year to do it. Lauren and Adam were a young couple. Brand new. Brand, brand new married. Brand new married. Newlyweds. I can speak. They were newly married. <clears throat> newlyweds. They were about to celebrate their first Christmas. And they had decided that they um, would start a business. That's what they were going to do. So they put all the money they had into this new business. It was a furniture restoration business. You know, expensive tools were needed and stuff. They did it out of their garage, so they didn't have overhead of a place. Tried to be as economical as possible. But they had no money for Christmas, and actually decided they weren't spending, spending money on gifts for each other. Well, they had gone to their families, and their family was all excited, talking about the presents and stuff, as you do. And so they, when they left, Lauren was like, this is such a bummer. We're not going to have presents for each other. We have to do this different. It was the beginning of December, so she said, you know what? I'm going to put a jar on the counter, and let's put our change in it every day. And so when Christmas Eve comes, there'll be some money there. It won't be much, but there'll be some money for us to buy presents. So they said, okay. You know, Adam was like, yeah, you know, you and your crazy ideas, but whatever, because, you know, she was the queen, as she should be, and he appreciated her, and whatever she wanted, she got, as it should be. (laughs) When you have two women together, it's a little fight about who's the queen, but (laughs) both get to be queen. That's how it should work. So they put money in the jar every day, and it was kind of exciting, you know, because they thought about it every day. They'd put their change in the jar. And uh, Christmas Eve came, and uh, they got out that morning. They dumped the change, counted out. It was uh, $26.52. So they each got $13.26. She got the extra penny. And they went to a department store, drove there together, one strip mall, one shopping center. They split up. He hid behind the coats and stuff because he didn't want her to see him and think about what she might get when they went to the cash registers. They were at opposite ends of the store, you know, because it was cool. It was a surprise. They they wanted to surprise each other. They got home. They went straight to the opposite ends of the house to wrap the gifts because, you know, it's a big secret about Christmas, as it should be, you know, and they got up the next morning. Of course, they had gifts from their family and stuff, which were larger, more expensive, but they were so excited about the little things they got for each other. And it was only $13.25, It wasn't much. But it was what happened. It was the way they did it. And they were so excited about the gifts. So um, Christmas happened, and they went over to the families for, you know, turkey and all that business later. 
And the year went on, and, oh, I don't know, around August, she said, you know, we should do that thing we did last year for Christmas. And he said, okay. So, well, let's put the jar out earlier. Let's put it out uh, Labor Day. He's like, okay. So we have more time to fill it up. So they did it, and they had like, I don't know, $62.50 that time. Christmas Eve. They split it up. You get, you know, $31 and a quarter. And they went to the store. They did the same thing. They got home, hiding the gifts and everything. So exciting. So the next year, she says, uh, yeah, let's just do this right, right away, starting December 26th. Okay, we will. Had the jar. The jar got bigger. It went from a little pimento size, you know, to the large jelly, to the, the big dill pickle. You know the big pickle jars that you see? They had this jar. It was their Christmas tradition. Ethos, their Christmas tradition. They had a child. Her name was Hannah. They actually had another um, set of children. They had twins, two little girls. And the kids were so excited about it. The, the, the um, twins were just infants, but Hannah was seven, and she looked forward to this tradition. You can imagine how much money got in this jar. Actually, it got to be so much money that they were embarrassed to go to the store and pull out all this change to pay for the stuff. Plus, it's Christmas Eve. You can imagine what the stores are like. So they started going to the bank and getting the banker, you know, to cash out the change into dollar bills so they didn't look so silly when they went to the store to buy gifts for each other. But they still did the same thing. So they got in the car. Hannah was seven years old. It's Christmas Eve. They're going to the bank to cash out their money into dollar bills so they don't look so silly when they go to the store. And Hannah insists on carrying the jar because you know how seven-year-olds are. I want to carry the jar. I can carry the jar myself. You know, they're like, okay, carry the jar. (laughs) They get to the bank. They're in there fiddling with the twins, you know, getting them out. You can imagine with twins, getting them in a stroller, pulling them up to the bank. And they think Hannah's right behind them. Well, she's not. They get in the bank. There's no jar. There's no Hannah. They look out the window, and Hannah's um, sitting on the curb next to this, what looks to be a homeless woman. Well, of course, they're alarmed. Seven-year-old, you know, is talking to a stranger. So... Or says, go out there, <laughs> get her, says to Adam. Yes, dear, goes out, as it should be. Um, and goes out there, and as he walks up, Lauren says, Daddy, I just gave Christmas away. You know, what, what was he going to do? She had pushed the jar over into the woman's arms. Um, the woman had tried to say no, but she insisted. And Adam felt like, well, you know, what do I do? Say no, that's our Christmas, and take it back? I mean, child's right here, good example. So he just scooped Hannah up and said, okay, come on. They got back in the car. Lauren was like, what's going on? (laughs) You know, there was hundreds of dollars in this jar. And it was December 24th. They had made no other plans for Christmas. So they get in the car. They decide, okay, everyone gets 10 bucks. We'll go to the department store and and get something. So they do. You know, they were like really just trying to figure this out, all, all the things they felt, disappointed and sad. But yet, the next morning when they opened their gifts, they had this feeling like they had never had before. It actually was the best Christmas they had ever had. And it became a tradition, and they gave jars away every year. And the people who got jars gave jars away every year, but it it, it affected the whole city. Sometimes the jars went to people who really needed it financially. Sometimes it was people who didn't need it, people who had more money than they did, but they needed it spiritually. People started giving, people started being more generous, and it was just a total and completely anonymous gift. It was a habit for them. I challenge you this day, as we close out this year, to think about your own personal life and the life of this church. And uh, I'm going to be praying that we can come up with and create some new habits.
that will change our lives and that will change the lives of the people out there who we hope will sit in these empty pews. And as you look at your life and try to make some decisions about how you will do things differently next year, I hope that you will let this question be the guide. Where's Jesus? Jesus isn't always where he should be. Jesus isn't always where he's supposed to be. But Jesus is always close. I hope that the decisions we make will lead us all towards Jesus in the new year. Amen. Amen.